all that Jesus said he was, was sealed and proved and validated at the resurrection. And Paul goes on to, to continue talking about the resurrection because there's some confusion and disagreement amongst the Corinthian church about whether there is a resurrection. Specifically about whether we as believers will be resurrected physically. But Paul goes as far to say, listen, if you don't believe that, then you actually don't believe that Jesus was resurrected. And if that's not true, then all of this is silly. Our faith is in our preaching is in, in vain. Our faith is futile. And we should all just go home and eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. But Paul says it is not that. It is far more than that. The resurrection, our resurrection is what brings the, the hope of all that, that the gospel is into picture and actually gives us a tangible thing to, to look forward to and hold on to. And so he has been uh, unloading on all of that, and, and that's where we find ourselves in, in the middle of that, really toward the end as he's wrapping up that thought. Um, and so we're going to start in verse 35 of, of 1 Corinthians 14, or 1 Corinthians 15, rather. Um, I'm going to read it. I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we ask for God's help, and then we'll look at it together. Paul says this, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, and there is one kind of for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There, <clears throat> there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown... In weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I, can, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye in the last, or at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on the immortality. When perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, death. Where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not 
in vain. Let's pray. God, help us. We don't have minds to to fully understand the goodness and the glory of what you have in store for us. And that's why we need to be transformed. And so as we look at that today, as we try to just behold that and, and begin to grasp that for the first time or to understand it a little further, may we be stirred to worship nothing less. May we be in awe of you, Jesus, and nothing less. If things are confusing, may you make yourself clear in the gospel and the good news of you as our resurrected king, offering resurrection hope to your people. May that be clear. Lord, help us. We need it. This is your word. We submit to it. We ask for your help as we turn to it now. Father, soften our hearts. Speak through me. Get me out of the way. May we as your people hear from you. Give us hearts to to receive it, ears to hear. We ask these things in your name now. Amen. Well, we, we talk often here at The Journey about how salvation is not just this thing that happened in the past, right, where we, we get saved by praying a prayer, and then, okay, from that moment on, we're, you know, you're on hold until you actually get to heaven. It's not just this thing that happens in the past, but it's, the, the Bible uses the language of being saved. Not that we are earning it, but rather our experience of salvation is multifaceted and it is dynamic in nature, meaning we have been saved, period, past tense, completed, never up for debate again from the penalty of sin, okay? So once you receive Jesus as your Savior, you realize you're a sinner in need of a Savior, you repent of your sins, you turn to Jesus as your Savior, and you trust in him. In that moment, you're born again, your sins are forgiven, and you are never to be held guilty ever again. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is complete, it is full, and you will not be punished for your sins, if you have truly been saved by Jesus, that happens completely and wholly. You have been saved from the penalty of sins. Okay, But it says we are being saved from the power of sin. We talk about this often. So increasingly, theologically, we call this sanctification, where we grow in our likeness of Jesus, meaning uh, sin is still present, we still struggle with it, but increasingly we gain victory over it as we are made more and more from one degree of glory to another, it says we are made like Jesus. And so increasingly we are being saved from the power of sin, meaning you should not have the same, you should not be in the exact same spiritual place that you were 10 years ago or 15 years ago or two years ago when you first met Jesus or when you, like there should be a growing in your holiness. Okay, so we are being saved. We have been saved from the penalty. We are being saved from the power. And then one day, one glorious day, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Amen? We talk about that. So that is, that is um, justification. We have been saved from the penalty. At sanctification, we are being saved from the power. And then one day, that will be glorification, meaning we will be saved from the very presence of sin once, like, once and for all, out of its presence, no longer to struggle, no longer to have shame, no longer to wrestle, but rather to be made whole and full in the presence of God, to be made like him. It will be glory. So we talk about that often, but what does that mean? What is that going to look like? How does that play out? And that's very simply what Paul is anticipating the Corinthians are going to ask is, okay, this is this good. You've reminded us that the whole big idea of the gospel is that he's going to remake the world, right? That it's not to be saved from the presence of sin doesn't mean that we get taken away from this bad physical world and go spend eternity in a, in a non-physical you know, state of being where we're sort of just these, 
these spirit things and, and there's nothing tangible and maybe we don't we thought about it a lot, but we just don't, we think about this, this escapist mentality that this world is bad, that, that our flesh is bad, our, our bodies are bad, and, and we just need to get out of here. And that is not exactly what God has in mind in his whole narrative of scripture. Rather, when he says we're going to be saved from the presence of sin, is that one day he's going to come back, is what Paul has just said in the earlier parts of 15, and he's going to do away with all that is evil. So the presence of sin will be removed from God's good creation. So this is a recreation story. This is, this is God, Jesus is gonna come back. This is what he's actively doing. He's making his enemies his footstool. He's conquering sin and, and Satan one soul at a time. And one day that will be complete and he will come back and there will be a fire, but it's not a fire to burn up and consume the world to be thrown away, but rather a purifying, cleansing fire where Jesus will come in with a word, get rid of all that is evil, all that has stained his good creation, and the, the, the presence of sin will be removed from his good world. And we will be resurrected to live with him on this new earth, this new heaven and earth. We come together forever to rule, to, to reign, and to worship Jesus in all the purity and all of the goodness and all the glory that he has meant for us. So that's good news, but Paul is anticipating the Corinthians going, yeah, but what does that look like? Like, how do we, like, how does this deal get there? Like, and, and sometimes you may have taken the resurrection for granted, like that you believe there will be a resurrection, and when you've put loved ones in the ground, you've, you've realized, okay, one day they're going to come back to life, and perhaps you've thought about it, how does that work, right? Um, you know, because depending on how long they've been buried, there's going to be a different level of a decomposition that has happened. If they were cremated, what does that look like? Will they be able to be resurrected, or is it going to be different? Is it going to take them a little bit longer to put all those pieces back together? What will it look like? Maybe I'm the only one that has these weird thoughts float through my mind, but, but perhaps you've thought about, like, what, is that, what does that look like? How does this body get to that eternal state? How does this body uh, physically get resurrected? And that's what Paul is, is, is being asked here, anticipating being asked, and so that's what he's going to answer. So it's a sort of simple question, but is a, is a uh, fairly, not complex, but difficult maybe to, to grasp idea. And so that's what Paul is going to attempt to unpack for them. And, and he says, some will ask, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Verse 36, he says, you foolish person. He says, kind of, hey, that's a silly question. You're asking the wrong question. You're looking at it the wrong way. And here's what he says. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So Paul's saying, listen, you're thinking about it all wrong. You're trying to think about how does this body get there? And sometimes we think about, okay, you know, in the resurrected body, will I be like peak age? And is that peak age, is that 25? Is that 18? If they're a kid, will they be made into this? age, you know, so they never grew to that age on earth, will they be made there? If they're 80, will they be brought back to 25? You know what I mean? Am I the only one that has these weird thoughts? Okay, that's what I thought. That's what Paul's trying to address here. He's saying, but we're thinking about it the wrong way. We're trying to think about, like, how does this get there? Paul says, it, it's, it's, a, it's a process of transformation that we don't have categories for, but if you'll stop and think, nature gives us parables for often. Okay, so Paul's saying, you don't think about this in the sense of how does this body get there, but if you'll stop and think, it is, it is all around us that we see things that are in one form, right? And it, the same substance, the same self 
the same content or material is changed into another form. And he says, take seeds, for example. Take seeds, whether it's a, grain, a piece of grain, whether it's a, it's a nut. I like to think of an acorn myself. You take, a, take an acorn, it, it is what it is, right? It's a nut. Is it, does it serve a purpose? Well, sure. Right? Like animals eat them, provide sustenance. Like it's, it's used for, for multiple different things. Grains can be used. They can be eaten in that form. But it doesn't truly do what it's capable of doing until what? Until it's put in the ground. Until Paul says, until it dies. It doesn't, it doesn't bring forth the life that it was meant to have until it is sown into the ground, unless it dies. And so Paul says, you've got that example it's no less glorious. Like we shouldn't, we should see that transformation from an acorn nut to a giant oak tree as glorious. That should cause us to worship God. Romans 1 says that what should be known about God is written all over creation and we should worship as a result of that, right? That we should see that sort of germination as, as something that leads us to worship because of God's goodness. However, we're not all that mind blown by that. Now it's fun if you're, you know, doing homeschool with your kids and you, you do the little seed in the, in the clear uh, cup and you, and you watch it go through germination, you, that, that's, a, that's a cool process, but it's not necessarily mind-blowing. Like, we have categories for that, right? It's the same content, it's the same stuff, but it manifests in a different form, right? It goes from a seed, a kernel of corn, goes from that kernel to a huge stalk, all the way up to the ears of corn, and, it, and it's just a crazy thing, but it started here and it ends up there. Paul says, much like that will be our bodies. Our bodies will be sown. It, there is a transformation that is needed, and it will happen through death. So death will happen, and then through that resurrection, we'll transform our bodies from same self, but it will take a different form. Well, what is that going to look like? Well, we have this. Paul, Paul goes on to say, I think what these next few verses are saying is we don't know for sure. We could take some cues from what Jesus' resurrected body looked like because it is a prototype, right? But, and, and, and it will be what we follow suit. But all of our questions aren't going to get answered. But here's what I think Paul is saying in these next few verses. is like, hey, God's not going to, he's not stumped on this one. Like he's got it. Okay, look, listen to what Paul points to. He says, uh, and, you, and you know that what you sow is not the body to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it each a body as he has chosen. Okay, so he's saying, listen, God's got a plan. He knows he's going to take that kernel of corn and turn it into a sock of corn that has other ears. He knows he's going to take that acorn, turn it into an oak tree, and so on and so forth. He gets, like, God is, is, is you know, a, the God of creation. He's not lost that ability that we praise back in Genesis 1 and 2. He's not absent of that anymore. And he says, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of humans and another kind for animals, another for birds, another for fish. He says, so there's all different forms of glory already. There's all different forms of life already. We see that. We know that they're different. And so just acknowledge that. And he goes on to say there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, right? We see the constellations in the sky. We see the planets. We see, we hear about, right, the different galaxies and, and all that exists within our universe. Like, there, there are heavenly bodies, there are earthly bodies. The, the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is the glory of the sun, and there is the glory of the moon, and, the, and another glory of the stars. For even star differs from star in its glory. What on earth is he saying? I think he's saying, hey, God's got this. Like, we struggle to know how's he going to get this body into that eternal state. He, he's not going to be stumped by this. He's not going to be like... 
you know, this is not an obstacle God's been scratching his head for. Like if he could just figure this one out, he'd wrap this whole thing up. No, 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 he's got a plan. He's got this. He's the God of creation. He will handle our transformation from this body to the next. And so there's, there's going to be one type of glory that is here. Our bodies are, are not bad. Okay, God's creation was good. If you remember back in Genesis 1 and 2, he made all this and he said it was good. In fact, he said it was very good. And we don't, like, we don't have explicit teaching about that in our you know, Western worldview, but it, it sort of creeps into where we, we sort of have a disjointed view of heaven because we think about like, what, what God is trying to do is to get us out of this bad place. It's sort of a misunderstanding of what we're going to see in the next coming verses is flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so we think, okay, well, it's, it's, it's this physical, you know, there won't be a physical nature to heaven. And that's, that's not what is being said there. As we'll see in a minute, flesh and blood is, is a technical term for, for that which is, um, exp- like, is susceptible decay to, to to, to wearing down, to in rebellion against God. Like that idea of flesh and blood is not our physical bodies as much as it is this, this idea of what won't last into eternity, what is perishable. And we'll see more of that in just a moment. But our physical bodies aren't a bad thing and God is going to use them and, and he's going to transform them. So it's a necessary transformation because what he has for us cannot be fully experienced in our current state. There's a couple of uh, resources on your digital bulletin I would encourage you to check out, one of which is, is John Piper talking about why we have to have resurrected bodies because the, the, the fullness of what Jesus has for us in salvation cannot be experienced in our current physical state. We need an upgrade or we will be disintegrated by beholding Jesus. It says that one day we will see him as he is because we will be like him. But if we are not made like him when we behold him, we will be incinerated by beholding him. So we need an upgrade. We need our bodies to be transformed. And there's another resource called Heaven by Randy Alcorn, which I think gives some good shape and and helps us kind of think through and even use our imaginations a bit with biblical roots as to what heaven will be like. And so those are are things, if you want to dive deeper, I would encourage you. But Paul Paul is saying, listen, God is a God of creation. He understands. He's made things in different forms with different glory. And, And our bodies are not bad. They have a purpose here. They're made to glorify God. They're made in his image, so they won't be tossed away. But much like a seed is transformed from this into this incredible plant, we will undergo a transformation where it will be the same material, the same self, but be in a totally different form. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. And so later we're going to see that he'll, he'll switch to language. In the ESV, we'll use the language of natural and spiritual. Some of your, ver- your versions will say physical and spiritual. And, and that's not necessarily the most helpful because it sort of begins to paint this picture of, okay, we have physical bodies now, we won't then. But if you look at the whole picture of what he's saying here, um, it, it's really more about this perishable, imperishable thing. Because we're talking about a physical resurrection, right? He's talking about Jesus's physical resurrection, and we will also have a physical resurrection. So it's not a matter of, you know, physical bodies and then spiritual bodies. It's a matter of perishable and imperishable, as he's going to go on to explain. And he said, it is sown, what is sown is perishable, and it's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, 
and is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and is raised a spiritual body. Okay, I want you to think about your body. Paul says <clears throat> it's perishable. Just that by definition, what's perishable mean? Like it's it's susceptible to decay, right? Like that it it indeed um, is corruptible. It, it can it can waste. It it has a a time stamp on it, right? It will not last. And so Paul says that's true of our body. But when it is raised, that will not be true. So what does this mean? Are, are, and I think this goes back to this whole idea of okay. Well, are we going to be raised to our 30-year-old self or our 20-year-old self, or do we get to pick, right? He's going to give us like this lineup of, okay, which ones you like the best? All right, you can have 22-year-old you. Go, right? And you'll just be 22 forever, right? And we sort of had this, like, when was it perfect? But here's the idea. Here's the thing. Our bodies have always been born into this world of sin. Our bodies have always been into this perishable nature and this weight of sin and, and struggle. And so they've never been perfect the way that God will make them perfect one day. They, they will never, it's not gonna be this going back to and just this restoration. It's not just a restoration of our bodies. It's not just back to our, you know, the state of when things were really good and our joints weren't hurting the way that they are now. It, it is more than that. But how many of you can, can, can yes and amen to the idea of our bodies being perishable, to them being in weakness, right? How many of you can reflect on that? I remember when I turned 30, I started to realize that for the first time, right? I started to, to gain weight when I ate things that I shouldn't eat. I, I, it was the first time it was new to me. I remember I, I tried to climb a tree and I threw, I threw a rib out of place. It was new to me, right? I wake up and I have injuries from sleeping. It's new to me, right? Like my body is, is, is you, you can relate, like our bodies start to decay. They start to, to, to wear under the pressure of this world. And what Paul is saying is that that's going to go away. It won't be this just simply a restoration back to the best you. It will be a complete transformation into the, the you that God has made for himself to experience forever. And so it's not going to be about this perfect age or this perfect form. It will be this totally different form that we can't even imagine. That each of, like that I'll have not only a full head of hair, but like this double chin thing that I got will, will go away, right? This gut, like, and we will be attractive beyond our imagination. And that doesn't have our categories on it. That doesn't mean we're all gonna look like this celebrity or this model. It, it's not like that. It will be in the likeness of Jesus. And that will be attractive beyond all measure because it, it's not about just getting the, the best version that we ever experienced here when we were in the best shape or we were the youngest or before these injuries or before this sickness, before this diagnosis. No, no, no. It's a, it's a transformation. It's the same self. It's going to take who we are and like a seed turns into something. It's going to be transformed into a imperishable but body nonetheless. It's not this disconnected. It's not this non-physical presence. He says, if, if it is sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If it is a natural body, then it's also a spiritual body. Again, that, that language is, is more about the, the, <clears throat> the type of, of body, not that there will be a body and there won't be a body, but rather that there will be an a imperishable physicality, right? That we were sown and we're buried a perishable physical self, and we will be raised an imperishable but still physical Self, verse 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. 
The last man, Adam, became a living spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. So, and as it is, as is the man of heaven, so also are we who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of heaven. Here's what Paul is saying. Listen, your body, you need to reflect on this. I was, I was talking to a, a friend this week, a leader in our church that is, is walking with his parents, perhaps at least one of them in their last days, and talking about how humbling that is to realize this, this body that we have, to see it to become helpless, to see that transition into that part of life is humbling. And, and he's had this reflection of, of, man, we're just dust. We're just dust. If God doesn't breathe life into us, we don't exist. Now, our bodies are complex, complex and glorious pieces of creation. They're amazing. The more you study biology and physiology and medicine, like our bodies are amazing. And they also should lead us to worship God. The way they work, the way they're wired, it's, it's glorious. The fact that you'd be holding an image through an eye right now that goes to your brain, and I, I don't, it's, it's glorious. And yet, none of it is any more useful than the dirt that it came from if God doesn't breathe life into it. And we all have a fragility about our life. It can be taken from us in an instant. We're being reminded by that with this virus, with this, like it's, it's every day talking about the death toll. It's talking about like we have a mortality to us that is attached to our humanity that comes from Adam. But that's just true of all of us. We have a likeness about us that, that sets us apart from the rest of creation. It is like the likeness of Adam, right? I don't know if you, if you remember, uh, if you've uh, read or watched uh, Chronicles of Narnia, particularly the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but when, when the kids show up in Narnia, they, they are called, you are a son of Adam, or you are a daughter of Eve, right? There's a recognition. How do they know that? Because they have this, this likeness of Adam and Eve, right? Of this humanity that God created. We have that likeness. We see that. Though we look different, though there's a variety of, of skin colors, of ages, of physicality, all of that, we have this likeness of Adam. That is true of all of us. And, and he's saying that's just how it is. And so it will be. That same likeness that we share just because we are, are humans, when we become a new creation in Christ, when we are in Christ, we now have a likeness of Christ that is recognizable, that is distinctive to the rest of the world. And that is this mark of what will bring about resurrection in our bodies, right? The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. If you think about the idea of how a seed works, right? That shell breaks apart, and in a sense, that form that a seed was dies, but there's, there's, there's a piece inside of it, right, that, that then springs to life, that, that, that catalyzes that new form of creation. That in us is the spirit of God. That is him placing in us life that is the spirit that will bring forth the spiritual life that will not be exposed to perishing and decay and suffering and sin. And so when we become Christians, our recreation happens right then. It won't be fully realized in our bodies, our physical forms until this day of glorification but our process of recreation begins at the moment that we receive Jesus. That he's making all things new. That is an active process. That's what we talked about earlier. We're being saved, right? That exists in you. you and the idea of dying to yourself, 
You see how all of this biblical language that, that we see that ties in together here when what Jesus is doing. As we die to ourself, we're being raised by one degree of glory to another into the likeness of Christ. And, and that will all culminate then in this physical resurrection that God is going to bring about on the last day. And he says, just like we bore the image of man, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And here he says, verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable must put <clears throat> the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. We okay, that's what he, he, so here's the deal. When we think about resurrection, we sort of think about those who've already died, right? We've buried them, cremated them. Their, their physical bodies have ceased to roam around on the earth. So we think, okay, God's gonna you know, bring them back to life. However, he does that work, right? Which Paul said, he's gonna handle that. We, we sort of think about that. But Paul says, well, you know, there, there's, a, there's another thing you need to think about because we're not all going to die in that sense. But, he says, we should not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. So what he's saying here is when Jesus comes back, those who have already died, they will rise first, and we've sort of covered how does that work. But what we haven't thought about is what about those who are still left here? When Jesus shows up, and the trumpet blows, and listen, you can get all weird about end times eschatology stuff and start wondering, well, what is the trumpet? Maybe it was this, maybe it was this elect, maybe it was this thing, and you can get really, here's the deal. The trumpet, it's a trumpet, okay? Like literally, the end of the age will sound, it's a trumpet, okay? It's gonna blow, this age is over, Jesus is coming back. Like you don't have to go much further than that. I, like, that's it, and when that happens, the dead in Christ, those are already buried, will be changed. But it's not like the rest of us just go, all right, cool, we're off to heaven as we are. Right, we're off to be, no, no, no. We must be transformed, we must be changed as well. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, this body, whether it's been put in the grave or not, cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. It cannot get there, it cannot receive, as I said earlier. What God has for us is not just merely a restoration of our best time period on life. It is so much more than that, that even Jesus' glory Right? And, and John Piper talks about this in that resource I tell you, but even Jesus' glory is not just about this recreation. It is more than that, that his glory increases when he comes and incarnates into the world. And when he dies on the cross, this climactic um, beholding of obedience, and then when he comes back to life, that all of that adds to the glory of Christ. And, and to receive that, to, to live in that, to behold that requires a transformation. So those of us, if it happens in our lifetime and Jesus comes back, we too will be changed. We will be transformed, it says. The perishable will put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality, and then we will go to be with Jesus forever. So we will have a physical body, our, our same self in a different form. What does it look like? I, it's hard to say, but if we can look at Jesus just a bit. Listen, Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits, it says, and earlier in chapter 15. Well, that's important to think about because Jesus, there's other resurrections in the Bible. You realize that? The Shulamite widow's uh, son in the Old Testament, we have at least three people, I think, that Jesus raised from the dead when he was in, you know, active in the Gospels, right? We have um, 
there's a young man, there is Jairus' daughter, and there is Lazarus that all had died and were dead at different levels. One was on their way, one had just passed, one was on their way to the funeral, and one, Lazarus, had been dead four days. And that freaked everybody out. They're like, no, 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 Jesus, like, you might not want to try this one. Like, the body's decomposed already. There's an odor, Mary says. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter, right? That recreation happens. And so you might think, well, is Jesus' resurrection all that unique? Well, it is. Because see, those bodies, those resurrections were just a restoration back to life in this physical body. Jesus was the first and so far the only one who has been resurrected into glory. He's the only one that has had the glorification of his body. And so as you read about Jesus is doing things like just materializing next to people or dematerializing and, and kind of, we would say, is he moving through walls? Well, he just appears in a locked room, right? He just shows up on the road to Emmaus and then disappears. Like he begins to do things that are metaphysically impossible for us and that's a transformed body. And yet there's continuity because he still has the scars, right? And he's still eating fish, right? So there's a physicality and a continuity to who he was. There's a recon- like a, an ability to be recognized by those who knew him, and yet, it's, it's a total transformation, right? So it's a glorified body, and that is the first fruits of what we shall experience, right? So we will, we will have some similarities. We will be recognizable. We will be physical, and yet it will be a glorified and transformed existence that we have with Jesus. And he says, when this happened, this is the crescendo. Paul has been, is going, and sentences flowing after sentences flowing. He says, this is it. Verse 54, and when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Then, he says, what we've all longed for, this, this moment of victory, It'll happen at that moment when we all receive our resurrection bodies, when, when the culmination of all that Jesus has done, it will say this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? There will be a day when we will mock our coffins, when we will stand and, and laugh at the, at the pain that death once caused us. It will be in the past, and we will fully rejoice at the victory that Jesus has brought to us. Let me, let me be clear. Death is not your friend. It is not a natural process. It was not a part of what God meant to have. Some of you were told that when you were kids, like so-and-so died and, you know, death is our friend. It's part of the process. We'll get to see him again. No, it's not. It's our enemy, right? We hate death. We should, Jesus, like when, when he experiences Lazarus' death in John 11, there's an anger that comes about in him, that it's a reaction that is, that is not just like, oh, gee golly. It is, a, it is a flaring of the nostrils anger toward death. And we should feel that too, because death is indeed our enemy. It was not supposed to be this way. It is unnatural for a reason. And there will be a day when it is swallowed up in victory. Why? Because Jesus has made that happen. Jesus Here's the big idea. The pain, the suffering, the sickness, the fear that you experience. The issue is sin. That's why those things exist in our world. No matter what you flesh that out in a different worldview and explanation of this theory and this whatever, it comes back to sin. Sin is the reason that our bodies decay. Sin is the reason that there is death. Sin is the reason there is sickness. Sin is the reason there is division. There is hate. All of that. And Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. That Jesus, when, that, that you need to, 
needing to know the physicality of what Jesus did on the cross was not just a formality. That he physically came and became man, just like you and I, and that he physically died, that he took the punishment on our behalf, that he actually felt the nails go through his hand and through his feet, that he actually suffered the pain of not being able to breathe unless he pushed up on his legs, which were held to a cross by a nail, which brought more pain, that he felt when they jabbed the the spear into his side and into his heart sack, like he felt all of that. Every time he was whipped and, and beaten, he felt all of that. Why? so that he could bring about salvation for you and I. Because there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. There is no appeasement of God's wrath without the pouring out and the, and the receiving of God's wrath. And Jesus did that on our behalf. The physicality of the cross, the physicality of the resurrection matters because one day there'll be a physicality of our resurrection. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And Jesus purchased that by going to the cross on our behalf. That is where hope, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what your fear is, the issue is sin, and the only answer is Jesus. You could try to do better. You can try to put off death. You could try to, and you should. You should take care of your bodies. This is a temple. You should eat right. You should exercise. You should go to the doctor. You should care for your body, absolutely. But it doesn't matter how well you do that. This is a perishable temple that will be buried. It will experience decay. Verse 56 says, the sting of death is sin. It's weird. We usually think about it the other way. What he's saying is the way we experience death. You think about it in the garden. He says, if you eat this, you shall surely die. But yet they didn't die the way that we think of it instantly, did they? But the sting was there because the sting of death is sin. It's this this struggle, it's this drawing to darkness, it's this, it's this ongoing ache and, and this struggle against things that are not natural, things that shouldn't be. And he says the power of sin is the law, meaning that it's, it's, the, it's the knowledge of what God has called us to, what we should be experiencing, how we should be leaving, that gives that power that, that crushes us under the weight of we know we have not it performed up to God's standards. That the, the power of sin is in the law, meaning when we see God's standards, it crushes us bit after bit until we have no hope. But, verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today, you are a sinner, period. All of us are. It's not just you. You're not, we're not the good ones. You gotta get on our team, start living our way. No, no, we are all sin. We have all sin. We are all sinners, and we are all on our way to hell without Jesus intervening. And so what you need is not some self-help to do better, get this life straightened out. What you need is Jesus. What you need is the resurrection of Jesus to be real in your life, to transform yourself, to give you a hope for this future that changes everything in the present. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. This is what Paul is getting to. This all matters for their everyday life. It matters for where they are right now. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. That means stand firm. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let me tell you something, church. This world is going to do its best to crush us, to bring us down. And we are experiencing that. We're all at our wits' end with with corona. We're all at our wits' end with with what's going to happen with this and the division that is in our, our nation. And then to compound all of that that we're experiencing culturally together, you have personal issues. You have personal fears. You have personal problems in your marriage. You have, you have people that you love being diagnosed, people that you love being sick, people that you love dying. 
You have interpersonal conflict. You have kids that don't behave. You have kids that you're not sure about if they're going to walk away from the Lord. All of that is very real and present in everyday life. And Paul says, listen, the only way you make it through that stuff, the only way that doesn't crush you, is to remember that it won't be in vain. That even our suffering will turn to glory on the other side. Once you think about, just, just quickly, once you think about Jesus' scars that he's showing the disciples in his resurrected body. These are scars that are reminding them of what was previously the dashing of their dreams. Their hope was lost, right? When they saw that before, it was, oh, this didn't play out the way we thought it would play out. But on this side of the resurrection, it all makes sense. And our scars, our pain, our suffering increases the glory that we'll experience on the other side. I want to end with uh, some words from Joni Erickson Tata. Uh, many of you have maybe heard her story. She was, an accident when she, was, she was in an accident when she was 17, and ever since she's been a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down. While she was still uh, trying to come to terms with this horrible accident, she would go to church in her wheelchair, and the problem with being in a wheelchair, she found, is that in her church's liturgy, everyone would, would, would stand up and, and kneel at different times, and, and which drove home to the fact to her that she was stuck in a wheelchair. And one time she was at a convention and the speaker asked everybody to get down on their knees and pray. And she said she looked around this room of thousands of people and everybody did it except her. She said, with everyone kneeling, I certainly stood out. And she said, and I couldn't stop the tears. But it wasn't because of self-pity. She was crying because the sight of hundreds of people on their knees before God was so beautiful. A picture of heaven, she said. And then she continued weeping in another thought. Sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven, I will be able to jump up, to dance, to kick, and do aerobics. And sometime before the guests are called to the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop down on grateful, glorified knees. And I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. Then she adds, I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscle, gnarled knees, with no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body. Light, bright, and clothed in righteousness. Powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope that the resurrection gives to someone who is in a spinal cord injured like me? Only the gospel of Jesus did we find such enormous hope to live in the midst of such overwhelming and disheartening circumstances. Only the resurrection promises not just new minds and hearts, but also new bodies. They're going to be indissoluble, more perfect, more beautiful. They will be able to do and bear the burden of what bodies are supposed to do in a way in which our present bodies cannot. Let's pray. Jesus, most of us can't relate fully with this woman's testimony, and yet all of us experience the, the very real reality that our bodies, our lives are not as they should be. As Romans 8 says that we are groaning, all creation is groaning for the day in which you come to bring to bear the birthing of the new creation. Father, help us to groan appropriately. Help us to long for that and help us to have hope in that. 
Would you meet the trials, the troubles, the sufferings of each of these people gathered online and in person today, Lord? And would you, would you give them a hope beyond this physical body that they currently inhabit? A hope that is rooted in the resurrection and the glorification of this one day. Maybe that hope is what births new birth and salvation for them in the first time. Would you give them the faith today, Lord? But for the rest of us, may we, have a, may we be immovable, steadfast, and abounding in hope because our labor will not be in vain. Help us to understand. Help us to have hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.